This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. Quite an interesting one. Michelle, our producer, just uh, shared it with us. It's a, it was created by researchers at Sony. So this was created by AI, and they asked it to create something in the sound of the Beatles. Don't you think it sounds a bit like that? I think it does. That's that's really amazing. So. We are talking this evening on Marketing Matters about uh, the intersection between creativity and artificial intelligence. That's a, that's a fabulous example of it. Um, but really in the marketing world, I'm Catherine Hayes. I'm the executive director of the Wharton Future of Advertising program. And we actually have up next somebody who we're very excited to have. Jordan Bitterman is the CMO of IBM's Watson Content and Internet of Things platform. Welcome to the show, Jordan. Thanks for having me. Really great to to have you on the show. We really obviously could not have an AI show if we didn't have somebody from IBM Watson. And we're particularly thrilled to have you with your marketing uh, vantage point on it. I thought I thought we'd start a little bit before we get into everything that, that IBM is doing. And talk about your background and journey. We, we like to say on this show that the marketers have some of the most interesting backgrounds, how they get to this. Um, so we'd love to hear what, what your journey has been to, uh, to get to this role. Yeah, mine has been a little non-traditional. Uh, I spent most of we my like career. We like those best. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> those are the fun uh, ones. I spent most of my career at large advertising agencies. That part isn't necessarily uh, non-traditional, but I, I did it as a media planner and media strategist. Mm. So my job, uh, as I'm sure most of your listeners know, was not to create the ads, but determine where the ads go. Mm-hmm. Um, and most people who follow a CMO track come from account management. Um, uh, which is the team that leads all the client relationships. Relationships, but my path was through media, um, and I started at a time when media was beginning to change in major ways. Um, you know, it was back in the time when uh, a media person simply had to understand an audience as a demographic, such as you know, women or men, eighteen to thirty-four. Right, the but demos. Early in my yep. career, yeah, the demos. But early in my career, understanding audiences started to get far more dynamic and more sophisticated and was largely driven by the advent of digital. So it became harder to reach people. And it meant that those of us who did media for a living had become far more strategic ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and so digital media changed everything, of course, about the advertising industry. And I found that being involved in these leading edge areas, whether it be you know web or mobile or social or content, um, really interested me and they helped me along in my career. Interesting. So, and then how did you get connected with the Weather Channel? Or did you join AB, uh, IBM first? Uh, well, I actually joined uh, Weather after the acquisition with IBM. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been here for a little less than a year. And what attracted me to this is that when I started thinking about, well, what does the second half of my career look like? And, and is it on the agency side or is it somewhere else? I really zeroed in on, um, on the publisher side. Uh, but I didn't want to just work for a publisher who was a content creator solely. I was really drawn to the idea of uh, whether, yes, but more importantly, the idea of AI and IoT. I just saw both of those areas incredibly burgeoning. Right. Um, and there were areas that I really wanted to, to focus on. The idea of data as a business, not just content as a business, was something that really appealed. 
And so maybe you can just give us a little bit of background. And I've been calling it the Weather Channel. It's the Weather Company, of course. Um, and why why did IBM acquire the Weather Company? What was the thinking behind it? Yeah. Well. Well. First of all, uh, it's it's actually a confusing point that a lot of people. Um, uh, mistake from time to time, and it really just requires a very simple explanation, which is that IBM acquired the weather company, inclusive of everything that the weather company has, with the exception of the cable network that is the Weather Channel. Um, they are now a client of ours. They license, we license them our our meteorology, and that's how they run uh, their cable network. But everything else, the apps, the website. All of the data, the meteorologists uh, are were purchased by IBM, and really the main reason for that is that weather is a huge driver of business outcomes. If you were to look at the earning statements from companies across the board, weather is often a primary reason cited for businesses not hitting their targets for a quarter, et cetera. Wow. So, and you know, IBM being in the business of helping businesses make better decisions to drive outcomes. Obviously, they saw that as an opportunity. And um, with our data platform, because we're not just forecasts, if there's an underlying platform that sits as a foundational element, IBM is now investing heavily in IoT and cognitive mm-hmm. analytics. So that was really the, the reason why we were an attractive uh, acquisition uh, for IBM. Tremendous amount of data, tremendous impact on businesses, and uh, predi- tremendous uh, predictive capability as well, right, in terms of looking ahead and being able to sort of forecast things and the impact of weather on it. So three really powerful reasons for, for gaining all of that uh, all that wealth. Absolutely. And just a couple of statistics, which I think are I, these are things I did not know when I took this job, and they are uh, they're, they're data points that I put in front of our clients and customers all the time. We do roughly 25 billion forecast calls per day, and those originate from you know all sorts of wow. data uh, sources around the world. Uh, we do around 2 to 2.2 billion on an average day locations, so those 25 billion forecast calls are originating, pinging from and to 2 billion locations a day. So it just wow. it actually makes us one of the largest IoT platforms right. in the world. Well, how do you how do you refer to that as an IoT? Why why is it IoT, an Internet of Things? Well, when... In what regard? Think, yeah, so, like, for instance, we do a lot of business with the airline industry. And um, so uh, those, the the data sources uh, need to come from not just Chicago, Illinois, or Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, gotcha. but they need to come from towers and sensors and, and pings all over the place in order to be able to realistically have a chance at being able to identify whether they should put a plane in the air or they should keep it on the ground. Right. And so there yeah. are sensors inside the planes. There are sensors all throughout the U.S., let's say, if you're, if you're sending a jet from from New York to Miami, uh, and so that is the Internet of Things. It's the Internet of right. Things. You know, we, we we commonly think of IoT, um, at least in in many ways. And I know probably a lot of your listeners don't think of it this way, but but we think of it as you know uh, an Apple Watch or a Fitbit. But, right. but really, when we get down to it, the the real mission critical B two B elements of IoT are what's sitting in uh, elevators and airplanes um, and turbines. 
And the fact that they're two-way, too, so that they're not only collecting the information, but they're able to receive as well and commands and do things differently as a result of the information that they've sent back that's been analyzed with everything else that's there to, to then make it work. So that's, yeah, and, and I can definitely see how that, that all makes it fit together. Absolutely. Um, so um, the weather company's new best friend, Watson, tell us, uh, give us a brief history of Watson. It's such a, it's such a great one. I think, um, you know, Watson really has been our, uh, this country in particular's, you know, first interaction with artificial intelligence. Um, so tell us a little bit about that background. Sure. So most people, and it's almost, um, it, it's almost a, a foregone conclusion that someone who talks about Watson will start with talking about Jeopardy. But, but most people think about Watson and they think about Jeopardy. Uh, it, was, it started as sort of a, a way of demonstrating whether it could work or not, and almost internally more than externally. Um, it started as one natural language QA, uh, you know, question and answer API. Mm-hmm. And today it's represented by a whole diverse set of Watson services that span everything from language to speech to vision, et cetera. But right. Uh, your your listeners may recall, you may recall that, you know, Watson went on Jeopardy and, and won. And it was one of these things where it, it was the first time that we really started thinking in many ways, not just we at IBM, but we as, as a technical society, um, that it doesn't have to be very binary, that computing can get into more than just binary. And I, I think one of the ways we talk about Watson uh, is it's best understood by thinking about it through the three eras of computing. And, you know, the first era of computing was the tabulating era. And you can think about that if you're thinking about the imitation game, the movie about Alan Turing. Right. And it was essentially calculations and that mm-hmm. really up to the 1950s, punch cards, et cetera. And then from there, we went into the programming era. And that was about using computers to help solve equations where we know what the answers are or we know generally where the answers are going to lie, but we want to get there faster and more easily. And when I think about the programming era, I think about Excel, but you could also pretty much think about any other piece of software that we've used over the decades. But now we've entered the cognitive era. And this is what what separates the tabulating era and the programming era from the cognitive era is that in the cognitive era, we can use structured and unstructured data. So it's not just zeros and ones. We We can lean into unstructured data like video or audio or faces, uh, or yeah, or or faces, expression. <laughs> right. uh, the the idea that you and I could be sitting across a table from each other, and I can read and react to your expressions based on whether you think I'm saying something smart or saying something kind of off. Right. Well, computers can start to do that now, and so that's really what Watson is trying to do: is trying to learn, understand, reason, and interact back. Uh, And actually, a a definition of cognitive that I particularly like that I've read along the way is programming is where people program computers, but Mm. cognitive is where computers program themselves, certainly with the aid of people, Mm -hmm. but they can start to program themselves. And that's when things get super interesting. That's fantastic. That's a really good distinction. And so so Watson is really going mainstream. I remember when it started to have ads on the Super Bowl, right? Uh, was it just two years ago? And 
and uh, being available much more broadly. Tell us, tell us how Watson has pervaded IBM, or what's kind of the structure of IBM. Your title is Watson Content and IoT Platform, but but Watson's really become a really critical part of of all of IBM, right? So help us to navigate how IBM is thinking and organizing around it, please. Sure. Well, it's a IBM. Obviously, is a very big company with many divisions that uh, you know solve problems and challenges for clients across the world. Watson is uh, two things, as you just suggested. It's it's divisions within IBM, and it's also offerings that help drive some of the other divisions within IBM. Um, so the Watson Content and IoT Platform is part of a, a broader Watson ecosystem. And that broader ecosystem uh, addresses uh, healthcare, financial services, retail, education, legal, uh, et cetera. Um, and uh, there's development that goes on at Watson. So there's, there are teams of, of engineers and technologists who are building out more aspects of the program. So it launched in one language, but it's being trained in eight additional languages now, including German and Korean, et cetera. Um, and so it's, it's really at this point, a diverse set of services that span language and speech, et cetera. Um, for our group specifically, uh, we're made up of a few different parts of the business. Um, we're made up of an IOT platform, which is essentially, uh, I like, I liken it a lot to the Romans and the aqueducts. There was water. We knew we needed water. We had to get water from one place to another because if you couldn't, you couldn't irrigate your fields and you couldn't drink the water and you couldn't make wine. Um, and once you did that, once you built the aqueducts, now all of a sudden water was set free and could be used in so many places. Mm. And that's what we're doing with the IoT platform as it relates to data. How can we take data and make it more useful? Now, certainly there's data that's useful all over the place right now. We're not, we're not, um, this isn't really the first time, right? For data, right? Yeah, uh, in this world, but 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 there's so much more data, like the data I've talked about before, that come from elevators and, and airplanes, et cetera, that we're not really using enough of it mm-hmm. yet. We're not putting it to use. So that group works. That IoT platform is charged with that. Got it. Um, and then a large part of our business is the weather company and being able to build solutions that might start with weather, but don't end with weather. How do we enrich it with cognitive technology? And how do we put that to use for our clients? Interesting. And so is, I know that um, Watson also is getting into the business of advertising of late. Um, and, you know, if, if agencies and advertisers don't have enough threats, <laughs> here comes uh, artificial intelligence. Um, and, and, of course, people are going to have, you know, AI in their phones and, and we're all going to be that much more empowered. But tell us a little bit about how AI has impacted advertising generally and what role uh, IBM and Watson are playing in that field. Yeah, absolutely. You know, what's interesting is just to pick up on something that you just said. At IBM, when we talk about AI, we actually don't use the term artificial intelligence. We use the term augmented intelligence. Hmm. And it might sound like marketing spin. And I'm sure there are people listening right now who uh, who are rolling their eyes saying, yes, that's marketing spin. But I believe really, in words. We, we're, we're big on words with meaning. And I think, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm with you. I'm going to stand up for you on matter. this one. Words matter. That's it. It's true. Vocabulary yeah, matters in terms matter. of how we think about things. So, But go ahead. 
augmented. They do. And, and so when we think about augmented intelligence, we don't think about any of the solutions that we have putting agencies or putting anyone out of business. It doesn't matter what category we're in. We actually see it as, as benefiting them. If we go back to the programming era, computers didn't put advertising agencies out of business. Computers actually spawned an entirely new uh, way to do advertising, both to uh, display advertising, but also to go about creating creative, uh, creating media plans, et cetera. And so when we think about AI, and we think about how AI needs to be put to use in the advertising world, we actually started out with something that we call Watson Ads. And it's a creative um, tool in a lot of ways. Oh, wow. Um, if, if you can, you could think of it this way. You can think of it as one of the world's coolest rich media units. Um, and you probably know rich media as just a more robust kind of creative technology. Mm -hmm. And so when we launched Watson Ads just about a year ago, we did so with the idea that much like Watson itself, which is all about learning and understanding and reasoning and interacting, our ads would be able to do the exact same thing. So um, some early Watson ads that we've had. So just, just picture this. Picture an ad basically wherever you are, on a mobile device or on a website, we've all seen the ads. And a lot of times we don't want to interact with the ads because we feel like they aren't helpful to our session on our mobile devices. They're actually hurtful. Right. Interruptive. Uh, they're, they're, yeah. they're interruptive. And, but in this case, we want them to be conversational. We want to bring value to people. So, for instance, with Campbell's, you're able to tell the ad what ingredients you have in your home. And then the Watson ad will give you a recipe that you can make with those ingredients. And what makes it cognitive is that the ad can't possibly know all the combinations that you're going to ask it. It doesn't know that you have leeks, curry, and chicken. <laughs> right. It can't possibly. I mean, how could we possibly do that in advance? If we did, that would be programming. But it's cognitive. So it learns the kinds of things that are great combinations to put together. And I'm not exactly sure what to make with leeks, curry, and chicken. It sounds good, and it's getting dinner it time, so yeah. <laughs> especially at the dinner hour. All right. Um, but, but it doesn't know the combinations you're going to ask, but still it works by giving you a helpful result, and it gets smarter as it learns. Mm -hmm. um, we've also done a Watson ad for Theraflu. And did you, you were just talking about, is that voice activated when you say you interact, or is it, uh, yeah, it doesn't what's the interface? You can mm -hmm. type into it, but one of the really interesting aspects of cognitive technologies uh, is that it does have natural language recognition skills. And so uh, a lot of the clients that we've worked with on Watson Ads have taken advantage of that API. Right. Um, because why not? Why wouldn't you want to yeah. give people that option? Especially if you're starting to cook, your hands are all... I mean, there's a, a ton of use cases, right? I mean, and, and this is a good one. Your hands are dirty. You don't want to type. You're in the middle of something else. You're just thinking of it. And so the, the whole voice, voice activation, really, and voice interface makes a ton of sense in many, it does. many we, applications. We see that with Amazon, with the Echo. We right. see it with Google, with Home. And those are very much consumer applications. And IBM and Watson are not in the consumer business. Um, the weather company, obviously, with the weather channel, does have consumer apps. But for the most part, when we put Watson to work, even on our own properties, um, we're doing it with the idea that it's a solution for enterprise to be able to take advantage of. And in this case, for Watson ads, it's a solution that Campbell's or uh, GlaxoSmithKline or whomever 
can take advantage of uh, to, to talk to their customers, to interact with their customers. So you're really redefining, um, and I'd love to hear a couple of other examples, but you're really redefining what it means to uh, what an advertisement is, which is part of what we talk about all the time and why we called our book Beyond Advertising, because it is creating value. It's literally creating value. So it's not that typical ad so what you're you're not saying that it's trying to come other come up with whether it's red or pink or yellow and whether it's a, a bull or a chicken or something else you're saying that it's it's this interface this interaction between the the audience and the brand where something good is happening for both so you're developing a relationship you're obviously an ingredient is part of Campbell's soup um, so it sounds like it's really redefining advertising well, it, it actually is both. And so we are not shying away. And in fact, we're going to have uh, more products, more cognitive advertiser offerings that we're going to be launching in just about a month. Hmm. Um, but we started out with one that we thought, Watson Ads, the creative that I just described, uh, that would do a really good job of emotionally connecting, mm -hmm. not only with the audiences that our clients are trying to reach, but also our clients themselves, for them to understand, like, oh, I, I see, this is where the future of advertising is going. Um, and so Watson Ads has been able to really telegraph that in a very meaningful way. And are you finding advertisers generally hesitant or, or excited about AI? And maybe that's too broad of a statement. Maybe, like, which ones seem to be hesitant and which ones are excited? And, you know, what's, what's the temperature that, you, that you're taking right now as you talk with people about this? You know, it varies, um, which I know is the worst answer to ever. No, it it's true. It's, it, it depends, right? But it, it does. It depends. And it depends. You know, the most innovative brands are leaning in very hard on Watson ads because they see it as an opportunity in exploring new technologies and using our, our technology to engage audiences in new and breakthrough ways. Um, but building a Watson ad takes a little bit of time and it takes a very considered approach. If, if you have a a marketing team of two, and you have a lot of things that you're trying to accomplish with your marketing team, then you've just got to stay real focused on getting those things done. But if you're a bigger brand, and Campbell certainly is one, and GlaxoSmithKline is one, and Toyota is one, these are all examples who have worked with us, Unilever, who have a, a little bit of a higher, they have higher budgets, they have higher risk thresholds, because they are open to trying things and experimenting. And I don't mean to suggest that what we're doing won't work, but it certainly takes a leap of faith. It's mm -hmm. not the first thing on your plan because the first thing on your plan, just like me as a marketer, the first thing on my plan is acquisition marketing. What right. is going to drive revenue or drive traffic to our consumer properties? That's what I'm doing. And so I need to have bigger budgets and a bigger risk threshold to, to try to ride the crest of the wave and do something new and different and move into the future of advertising. You know, so it's interesting. Clients understand that. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, I, I think what we're seeing and I think kind of one of the major points of the program that, that I'm hoping to get across is that it's almost riskier at this point not to start jumping into the game, um, not to start understanding how it can be relevant for your business and how it can be um, enhance what you're doing from a marketing perspective, enhance your learning um, now because the it, it's available and it's it's possible and to carve at least a portion out of a budget um, and and time and effort to uh, to start to get in and and understand what it is and how it's working. 
Um, do you think well, it's too I, early for some companies, or do you think do you think everybody is should at least try getting started in this field? Here's how I would look at it, um, and you know I, I've been in our business uh, a long time, and I've had the good fortune, and I've got the gray hairs to prove it <laughs> to have kind of lived through the digital. Uh, revolution and the mobile revolution and the social revolution. And if you think about all of those parts of our industry, those times of our industry where we have seen so much change, we've arrived at a place now where all three of those areas, digital, mobile, social, they're all mature industries. And I do remember working with colleagues and working with clients when I was on the agency side who were either indifferent to those areas mm -hmm. or were sort of scared of those areas. Right. They've all become big businesses with anywhere from two to four, five billion people um, on the planet all consumed by it. But if you think about AI, AI is going to consume the total population of the planet. And right. it's not. And, and the reason why that's true is because you don't necessarily opt into AI the way you opt into social when you create a Twitter account or a Facebook account. You, you either opt into AI because you're wearing a Fitbit or you're giving a company permission to use the data that's coming out of your dishwasher, or it's working with you in an ambient way. It's changing the light grid, in the traffic light grid in your city, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So whether we know it or not, whether we opt in or not, AI is touching all of us and will touch every person on the planet. And it's 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 kind of the intel inside, if you will. It's sort of the it's it's what's powering some of the most interesting technologies as well. So you, as you were saying before, you sort of can't have uh, Internet of Things without uh, augmented intelligence or that's, that's right driverless sure. cars or or augmented uh, reality, sort of enhanced. Uh, ways of information in terms of what you're doing at, at, at your fingertips or at your eyeballs. Um, so in that regard, it, it truly is b becoming pervasive. So how about the risks? So if, if it is, you know, starting to sound a little bit like Big Brother or, you know, just everywhere, especially from an ambient perspective, especially something that you're not opting in, but it is you know, checking your biometrics as you're walking past, um, you know, what are the risks that you all are seeing, and especially a, a brand like IBM um, and the, the responsibility that you have in this area as, a, as such a leader? What are the risks and how do you manage them? Well, our company uh, has uh, an ethical and moral standard that uh, is sort of unlike I've ever seen before um, in some, some days in my job it actually frustrates me a bit because the bar is so high in terms of what we can put out and what we can't. And I, but, but, but generally, even though the day-to-day -day can be frustrating on that particular topic sometimes, um, it's really best that right. we have big companies that think that way. Uh, back during Mobile World Congress uh, in the spring, um, the CEO of SoftBank had a slide up uh, in his presentation, and he said that there are 12 threats to civilization. One of them was AI. Wow. But he said the only threat amongst the 12 that actually is an antidote to the other 11 mm -hmm. is AI. Mm -hmm. AI can help solve those challenges. And so we do have to regulate, and I believe that the government is behind in, in even thinking about this. Yeah. Companies at this point are self-regulating, and that's a good thing. We've got a lot of companies 
um, in our world that uh, that have great intentions and uh, they're on it. Uh, they might not be on it all the way, but I know I can speak for IBM where I can say that we are. Um, but over time, we really as a society have to think about these things. What are the challenges that we want to solve for? And let's make sure that while we're, ch- while we're solving for some of those challenges, we're not creating new challenges in the process. Yeah, and I think for for companies too, it's uh, I, I think there's a, the the security issue probably becomes I guess the two are security and privacy and and interconnected uh, as that kind of data becomes more and more massive and cloud based um, for those who are not as ethical and uh, and have the same kind of moral standards that that that's probably where the biggest fear comes from. Agreed. Um, so you mentioned before, I, I would love to get one more example in before I let you go. Can you tell us a little bit about the Toyota uh, ad campaign and how that went? You know, not just not just the campaign itself, but what you learned from it uh, as we're at this early stages of, of uh, augmented um, intelligence. Sure. So a, a, an example of what we've done with Watson ads for Toyota, and actually it might seem a bit of an advertisement itself, but I think for your listeners it could be interesting. There's a, a website called watsonads.com, and it's just watsonads.com. And all there is there are examples. There's literally nothing else other than examples of various Watson ads, and they, they can see all of these uh, that are up there and actually interact with them either by typing or through natural language. Nice. But Toyota really interesting. So you can ask the ad pretty much any question you want about the Prius. And so for instance, recently, and actually this is a real case for me, I've I've wondered about the charging process. I live in New York City and my garage doesn't necessarily have access to special charging docks. So I asked a series of questions in my own voice as to how I need to charge, what kind of outlets I need to use. Can I use a, a, a standard outlet how long does the charge take? How long does it last? I mean, these were like these are questions where, as people are driving right now, listening to this show, they may have been thinking about buying an electronic right. vehicle, electric vehicle. Uh, this might be a hindrance for them buying that car. These are the basics, yeah. All those answers came back, uh, similar to when we were talking about Campbell's and the ingredients, but but they get you to a point where you feel more connected to the brand, to the in this case the the specific model. Um, and you know, as, as a marketer, I know, um, my job is to diminish the the distance that exists between, uh, an audience member, a customer and a sale. If I can find a way to diminish that distance to make Mm -hmm. it shorter, that point A to B shorter, uh, in this case, get people to come in and take a test drive, let's say, then I've done my job. And so that's what Toyota Prius and their Watson ad is all about. On average, I can't speak to Toyota specifically because that wouldn't be right. It's, it's their data. But I can tell you in aggregate, when we look at the various Watson ads that we've created, a number of things have happened. Number one, we're seeing one to two minutes of active engagement with the ads on average. So some people spend a lot more time with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but one to two minutes with an ad is a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> that's, yeah, I mean, it doesn't sound like the old, a lot, but if you're yeah, in the marketers world, would kill you know. for that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a lot of time, and that exceeds obviously digital industry time spent benchmarks. But we're also revealing lots of interesting product insights. Mm, um, right. Like consumers tend to engage more deeply when they're submitting what we might call non-intuitive ingredients for a recipe suggestion, or 
when they're asking, you know, sort of, sort of questions that are outside the box of what mm-hmm. someone might normally uh, engage with with an ad for, for a car manufacturer. And all those things, not only do they help an advertiser understand how the ad is working, but it also could create lots of insights for how they might want to revamp their brochure, their product brochure, right. or they might want to revamp their social strategy, because these are all tells that couldn't be had in any other way. Mm-hmm. And do they also, um, you know, speaking of humanizing uh, these sorts of things, if if uh, if the Watson ad gets flummoxed and it doesn't, you have a question that it doesn't know how to answer, uh, is there a human interface? Is there an automatic go to a human to help? Or how is how are you working that uh, that mixture? Well, you can... And it's in all how you architect the ad itself, but um, the ad keeps working. It keeps it keeps trying to answer your question. It'll ask you to ask it in a different way. It'll give you a suggestion. I, I think I heard this. Is this what you meant, et cetera? But when we architect the ads, we certainly now and very much even more so in the future want to make sure that we're deep linking people into a very specific experience mm-hmm. based on what we're hearing about them. So. You can think that a Watson ad, the technology that's in a Watson ad, could absolutely take someone deeper uh, so that you're, you're basically closing the sale or you are uh, taking someone further from engagement into consideration or from consideration into purchase. Um, and so that's what the goal is. The goal is how do we get people and diminish that distance between where they are now and where they need to be? Fantastic. So just one more question with your crystal ball, just uh, the next sort of 12 to 18 months, what do you see as like maybe the top three key trends that, that we should all be looking out for in this space? Well, as it relates to AI, um, we, I, I think there's a number of things. Uh, first of all, you, you mentioned it before around privacy and security. Uh, all of us in this industry need to be thinking about that because mm-hmm. if we don't, uh, it's going to be done for us. Right. Um, and it'll probably be done for us anyway, but we should, we should be building an ecosystem that's really right for the long term, for what we want to build, not just for where we are right now. Um, I, I think we need to focus. Focusing is very important right now. AI is very large, and uh, it's kind of like digital in itself. Right. You know, back in the day, someone would say, well, how much does a website cost? Or, you know, how much time does it take to build a website? This goes back to the early to mid-90s. Right. And right now, some of those same very broad questions are being asked AI, like, you know, do I need an AI? Well, there is right. no such thing as an AI. But How much does an AI ad cost? How much does an AI <laughs> ad cost? Right, exactly. And right. So, the, the goal here has to be to focus. We have mm-hmm. to be able to focus both as a provider of AI services, but also as marketers who are out there trying to engage with us. We have to both sell more focused and we have to buy more focused in order to get to where we need to go. Very helpful. Well, with that, um, Jordan Bitterman, thank you so much for joining us on the show, for taking time and for shedding some light on such an important topic. It was really a pleasure to have you. Hope we get to have you back again sometime. Thanks for having me. If you want to keep up on the latest from Watson ads, go to theweathercompany.com or follow them on Twitter. You can follow Jordan at 
Jordan Bitterman, B-I-T-T-E-R-M-A-N, or at Forecast Factor. So with that, thanks again. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.